We're back. It's the week one review. We're delighted to have football back. The Gridiron Show with me, Will Gavin, with Simon Clancy, with Ollie Hunter. Hello, chaps. How are you all feeling uh, post-week one? Only one of us didn't have week one disappointment. So, uh, Simon, you must be feeling very cheap. Hey, I'm happy. Uh, 1-0 is always good. Better than 0-1, as... Uh... You two could attest. Um, I mean, I thought it was an interesting week. Like you say, a lot of some good games. I, I, I was quite surprised at how shabby some of the games were in terms of the performances. Tackling wasn't great, rusty, and obviously that's a knock-on effect from teams just not playing very much in the preseason. And you look at the Dolphins and my team, Jalen Waddle, Terran Armstead, neither of whom played in the preseason. Tyreek Hill had three snaps. Tua Tungavala played three drives. It's, you know, So I, I think there was some rustiness across the league, which I think you know will... We'll, had an effect, and then, uh, and you saw that in in five, six, seven, eight different games across the league last. I think you could, t- yeah, I, I I think you can tell um, that where people say defenses are ahead of offenses, it's so much. I guess it's easier to play against an offense that isn't clicking than against a defense, unless you're Justin Jefferson. But it's easier to play against a. a, a, a if you're a defense, that defense ends up being a better defense against a poorer offense, and we saw an awful lot of that yesterday um just just as as you said simon just things not clicking we also saw some weird play calling and clock management and um some strange game game management and game plans that that teams just decided to not change until it it was almost too late so it was just it, there was some bizarre stuff but there was also some really fun intriguing stuff especially at the end of those six o'clock games at the you know two going to overtime one bizarrely going to to um to a tie multiple missed field goals and and weird stuff going on so it it was an intriguing week one not a very high quality week one I'm all right with that, though. I, I'm i kind of all right with games being sloppy. I'm all right with, uh, you know, almost having an upset in Saints-Falcons when that game, when it's played in week nine or so, when both teams are at full speed, you would expect the Saints to to be able to dominate based on the talent they have. Maybe not. We'll see as, as it transpires. And there's always that thing of trying to not overreact to week one. But I want to start with the fact that for the first time since 1999, both teams who featured in the Super Bowl last year lost their opening games. You would argue Los Angeles lost to the Super Bowl favourites in the Buffalo Bills. And we had a bit of a reaction to that on Friday. But the Cincinnati Bengals giving up uh, giving up five turnovers, giving up, you know... <laughs> And was it seven sacks in the end of Joe Burrow? When the whole story for their offseason's been, if we can get the offensive line to be average, then we're going to be fine. We've gone out and we've picked up players. We've gone out and drafted players. We've gone out and picked up free agents. They've spent relatively big on that line. Uh, And as we saw, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and particularly TJ Watt prior to his pec injury, absolutely feasted and... It was kind of astonishing they were even in the game going into overtime. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I wonder whether it's an outlier or whether or not that's just the way the Bengals are. I thought Lyle Collins was really average uh, last night. It was a sort of a coming-of-age game for Alex Highsmith, a kid I really like coming out of college. Um, obviously, TJ Watt is a is a superstar, um, and the injury is huge interior-wise. I thought they played really well. Um, it, but again, it just goes back to... Scheme is so important in the NFL. Scheme wins, and you look around the league. At, you know, look at the way that that Kevin O'Connell was able to scheme against the the really good defense of the Green Bay Packers. Look at the way that the Dolphins were able to screen 
scheme the ball to those skill position players to make yards after catch. Look at the way, most importantly, I think the Buffalo Bills sort of protected uh, a weak cornerback group, you know, with Tredavious White being out and yet, you know, didn't look at any point uncomfortable um, against the Rams on Thursday night. I think just scheme was so important. There were times where, especially during some rust, especially when teams with new coaches, new coordinators, et cetera, et cetera, were trying to get their, their sea legs under them, that scheme really won on the opening day. The my the feeling you're absolutely right about scheme. I I think my concern is that, and this is a problem all round with the Bengals, and I think with this offensive line idea in general. And we talked a bit about this with the Seahawks going into Week One, how they spent big on that line. But if you don't have the coaching, it's never going to necessarily improve. And there was this idea that Joe Burrow did well despite what was in front of him, and then last night it just didn't look up scratch. Was was that? a bit of preseason rustiness from him. Was that the fact that eventually that's going to catch up on you when you're being hit 10 plus times a game and sacked five plus times a game that you're just never going to be able to succeed long-term, even if you are a guy who can get the ball out quickly, who's got a live arm, who's got a great offense around him as well. Even though T Higgins did go down in the game. I think you'll find that from my point of view, I thought that Joe Burrow um, has all sort of leveled out slightly. Um, last season, Teams and players and coaches, they get on a crest of a wave and they start sailing or surfing that wave and things start to go well for you. Things that you do come off. Yesterday, it was a regression back to 2020. We're in 2020. 2020, Joe Burrow. Um, whereas, I, all right, the second half, it, it, things did pick up and getting the ball to Jamar Chase was was imperative and, and uh, Joe Mixon getting the ball and finding some space, that was all, all great for Joe Burrow. But I think it, it, there was a certain certain bit of levelling out. We saw maybe what the real Joe Burrow is rather than this uh, crest of a wave imposter uh, that potentially we saw last year. <laughs> that is the hottest <laughs> Imposter is strong. It's a, it's a so weak strong. one take and I love it. <laughs> It's a terrible take, right? I mean, what I, th- I think what's really interesting is it just looked like five players who'd never played before in a game together. But, and people, of course, you're like, mm. <laughs> we, we put our predictions from last week's podcast up on social media and then got hammered for about three days by Bengals fans. who bizarrely went really quiet yesterday. I don't know why, because I messaged every single one of them. <laughs> the My the, mentions were before fun. Before the game, they were talking about how, you know, we've got a new offensive line, we've improved our only, our only issue. Well, you go back and look at week one of week one of the last two seasons. Week one last year against Minnesota, thirty-five pass blocking snaps. They allowed four sacks. They had sixty-five pass blocking snaps and allowed seven sacks this this uh, this week. So I, I, I'm not sold that immediately. That's a vastly improved unit, and that's going to affect Joe Burrow not only not only in terms of the rhythm, rhythm, the timing, not only in terms of Joe Mixon trying to run the ball, but the most important thing and the sort of the underlying issue, the kind of the elephant in the room, is the health. Your superstar quarterback because he is a superstar quarterback. No, no matter what Ollie says, he is a superstar in this league. You have to protect him. You know he's already had an ACL injury. He was battered and bruised for the first two seasons. I'm of the belief. I was there. I'm of the belief that you know if the offensive line holds up last year in the Super Bowl, the, the Bengals drive down the field and win that game. So I, I think that they that unit just has to mesh really quickly because that's a team that's got some difficult games coming up. Um, and obviously, I'd, I'd like to hear from all those Bengals fans, um, although I don't expect. 
I, I, I also uh, think that the man referred to by Simon Clancy on our WhatsApp group last night as AFC Kingsbury uh, has a huge amount to answer for, both in terms of the coaching, in terms of the play calling, in terms of punting the ball away in overtime while there's time on the clock, giving them enough time to drive down. Okay, Escaping with a tie isn't necessarily the best thing in the world, as Colts fans will tell you, but it's better than that losing. That got and- a crest of a wave last season, I think, in Zach Taylor. You know, I don't believe Joe Burrow ever did, but I think Zach Taylor kind of lucked out with the crest of a wave that that team were on in terms of that kind of the underdog, Chase, Mixon, Burrow, everything coming together and just, you know, having a great run because he's not, he's not a very good coach. Uh, let's talk about some teams who made a bit of a statement in week one, early doors. Again, I come back to the Bills on this, but we've covered that a little bit already. What about the uh, Kansas City Chiefs? Now, they were going up against the NFC Kingsbury. Maybe that is a huge part of why they were able to move the ball so freely against a team that were lacking some key pieces in a team that, you know, without those key pieces aren't very good. Five touchdowns, 360 yards, spreading the ball about. Juju Smith-Schuster had six catches. Marcus Valdez-Scantlin had four catches. There was a real uh, diversity to that offense. And more than anything, they actually looked like they had a decent run game from week one to start the season. And that's not something we've seen from KC much recently. Ollie, Because I'll answer it if you want me to. Because I just thought, I mean, I just thought that I just noticed a greater sense. Okay, everybody, we, we've heard it all before. Everybody talks about Tyreek Hill, right, uh, and missing Tyreek Hill. And I actually thought what happened with Kansas City would be the sort of thing that would happen in Green Bay. More of a diversification in terms of the way that the ball went outside of Devontae Adams. Obviously, you've still got Travis Kelsey in Kansas City. You've got those weapons, obviously, brought in Juju Smith-Schuster and Marcus Valdez-Scandling, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I just thought it was Patrick Mahomes just took his game. It almost felt like he'd taken his game to another level. Yesterday, you know, there was a sense of calm and a mastery of what he was trying to get accomplished. The ball came out quickly. He moved around the pocket sort of really easily. He was efficient. He kept his eyes down the field all the time when he had to buy time. And he was accurate. And when he gets into a rhythm, it helps that you're playing against Cliff Kingsbury's Arizona Cardinals, who aren't very good. Um, And I think Kingsbury will get fired early this season. But I just thought it was just another evolution. People have been talking about Josh Allen, and people talk about Joe Burrow, and people talk about Justin Herbert. I think yesterday was like a knock on the door. It's like Patrick Mahomes. I'm still here, guys. I really might have gone, but I'm still here. I think what what it showed was that um, Patrick Mahomes really embraced the challenge of losing his best receiver, in in inverted commas, and maybe um, Travis Kelsey's his best receiver. But in losing his best receiver, he's decided, and, and getting a load of new pieces in, players he hasn't played with before, you compare that to Aaron Rodgers, probably get on, definitely get onto him later, but Mahomes embraced the challenge compared to Rodgers not really and, and, and already starting off with a, with a, with some moaning and some and some rolled eyes, etc. Whereas Mahomes dealing it all over the place. And then when you've got Clyde Edwards-Helaire kind of becoming that, what, that running back option that a lot of fantasy people thought he was two years ago, last year, I did this year. Um, becoming that that running option then that just opens up everything else and when everything else is opened up for a, a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes it's just scary for other teams despite it being uh, Cliff Kingsbury's uh, Arizona Cardinals and by the way he's not the NFC's Cliff, Kim, Cliff Kingsbury he's just Cliff Kingsbury just a terrible terrible coach yeah I- 
look, I think as well, we're going to focus a lot on that Chiefs offense. 44 points, an unbelievable, yeah. I think on their first nine drives, they were going at 7.4 yards per play. They scored on seven of those drives. It was an astonishing performance. But on the other side of the ball, this idea of Steve Spagnolo's defenses don't start to pick up pace until mid-season. Again, we've got to consider it's week one. The opponents might be shoddy, but I thought George Karlaftis looked really good. Four pressures, two quarterback hits, you know, hitting the ground running as a rookie. Chris Jones just absolutely kind of lived in the cards backfield, even if the the kind of stat line wasn't necessarily there for him. And, and actually, like it just looked like Arizona's offense couldn't get anything going. I, I saw uh, Kyler Murray, according to Next Gen Stats, was pressured on 44% of his dropbacks in the first half. That's an astonishing rate for a guy who's supposedly a guy who can escape the pocket, make scramble plays, do things with his legs. Only managed two passes over 15 air yards the whole game. We talked about how they're a team who tend to start fast and get slower as the year goes on. But without DeAndre Hopkins, they looked lost yesterday. No run game. Kyler couldn't do anything like they got a couple of garbage time or as Ollie Hunter, I like say, gunk time touchdowns uh, in the fourth quarter. But they could have easily lost this game 44 to 7. Like, if Chiefs hadn't taken their foot off the gas, I imagine they would have done. I mean, and Trent McDuffie, their first round pick, was out with a hamstring injury, you know, on that Chiefs defense. And I think it's a great point that you make here. The offense and Mahomes, who's unbeaten now in five for eight, for 18 touchdowns and zero picks in his first week one games during his career, which is astonishing. But I think that that offense is going to get the attention. But actually, the defense transforming from being slow and old, it's now young and it's fast. I think that might be the success story of the roster actually moving forwards because you talk about guys like George Karlaftis and, you know, Leah Chanel, the Wisconsin linebacker, and Willie Gay, who's there, and the, the, the way they've revolutionized that secondary, moved out, you know, Tyron Matthew, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think it's really interesting moving forwards how, how well they play. And, and the flip side of that is that Arizona, like you say, just looks, they looked lost. They looked slow. Um, I don't think. You know, the Hollywood Brown experiment is, is fine, but I don't think, you know, you're not, if you're relying on Hollywood Brown to take over from uh, from DeAndre Hopkins, then you're you're in big trouble. Obviously, Chase Edmonds gone as well, so they're, you know, lost more speed on offense. I, I just think they couldn't protect him particularly well. Um, and overall, they're just, the, just the game planning week after week with Kingsbury, I just, I just don't see it. Missed tackles as well, defensively missed tackles. That Vance Joseph defense, I just, you know, and I know it's indicative of what was going on around the league, Ollie, but like, the missed tackles will just kill you, especially when you're playing the Chiefs. And um, huge shout out, Justin Reed. Uh, the safety, yeah. it, a, a lot. Of, <laughs> I heard, it, I think I, I heard it on um, on on Red Zone that he kicked in high school. Some people have have missed that he he was a kicker in high school. But even so, what a leg! He booted two kickoffs out of the end zone. I think one of them he actually hit the uprights, the old crossbar challenge. He was one for two on extra points. It just it's it's uh, it could be something in the future for for rosters to have a look at if one of you your guys can be a can be a kicker. But shout out to that. Also, it's I'm glad it was it was done in week one because that was clearly the worst uniform matchup of of the season. The, all, <laughs> the red red of the Cardinals with the white helmet, but then the white helmet and white jerseys with the red pants of, of the Kansas City Chiefs. That's how kit watch. Um, it was a terrible, terrible one. A horrible eye saw. I'm glad it's out of the way. Move on. It was week one. Phew. 
all right. I I this I, I want to talk really about every game this week. It's good. I normally on Monday we tend to pick three or four things we really want to talk about and go in depth on, but you kind of can't avoid it in week one. I do want to talk about my favorite play of the day. And my favorite play of the day, Simon Clancy was fourth and seven from the New England 42. Yeah, as uh, Tyreek Hill said in the locker afterwards, Mike McDaniel's going to need a wheelchair to get his big balls out back into the car park. Although whether or not he's able to get into his car, because he lost, seemingly lost his car keys before the game, which was quite funny for the new head coach. Have you seen that episode of South Park where they all give themselves, you know, testicular issues in order to get marijuana cards and they're all using wheelbarrows or bouncing around on them like they're, uh, you know, what are they called? Those space hoppers. Uh, That's basically, that's Mike McDaniel's call. Yeah, it was a great call, actually. I mean, it was a really interesting call as well because the Dolphins were leading 10 nothing, and there was still time left on the clock. If they'd have turned the ball over there at the 42, the Patriots 42, you know, a couple of quick throws from Mac Jones and they're in field goal range. All of a sudden, you know, and they've got a great kicker, long distance kicker. All of a sudden it's 10-3 in a game that really you should be 17-24-0 up, you know, in terms of how the Dolphins played and, and kind of managed that game, saved the first drive, which ended with the uh, Javon Holland interception. But yeah, it was a great call. It was a great throw. Uh, sort of zipped in between three defenders. Carl Duggar collided with another defender. Waddle just, you know, gets free and gets in the end zone. You see, you know, cuts to the crowd and there's a lot of sort of middle-aged men sort of waddling around like they're penguins, which is, you know, hilarious. I love that. (laughs) It was a a ballsy play, you know, and McDaniel coached on the front foot yesterday and it was was interesting. I think if you're a Dolphins fan looking at it, you know, quite apart from the individual performances, I think what you're looking at is is real diversification of scheme on offense in terms of bunch formation stacks multiple motions, jet sweep motions. They had Cedric Wilson playing almost like a CFL receiver where he starts his run up from behind and then by the time the snap of the ball, he hits the line of scrimmage, he's going switch releases, all sorts of things that that I thought were really interesting. And they, they rolled two out a lot. There was a lot of misdirection. Difficult against such a disciplined team like New England defensively. You know, their pass rushers never really rush past the quarterbacks. They're often in place for, those, for the rollouts and those sorts of things. But I think against teams that aren't quite as disciplined I think that will really make hay for the Dolphins but a really good you know a good head coaching performance for for McDaniel on his um, on his first game and a, and a great call a gutsy call on, on on the touchdown what about the tour performance though I, I thought it was okay um I thought he made what I wanted to see with Tua going into the season and and were essentially you know the, the off-platform throws when he when he's out of rhythm when he's coming off his first read um and sometimes I, th- I felt like he played down to the level of competition and not up, whether or not he put the, the team on his shoulders. So he went to Tennessee last last week, uh, last year, week 16, having to beat the Titans on the road to, to keep the playoff hopes alive and probably get into the playoffs. And he couldn't do it. He just played down. He looked small physically. And just, you know, Justin Herbert looks, he is big, but he just looks big. He looks like a, you know, he's got all the confidence in the world. And, and there were times yesterday we made some really good throws. It was a really good throw to Durham Smythe at the seam. The Waddle touchdown was a great throw in between three defenders. There was a couple of throws that would have taken it from a sort of a C plus to an A minus in terms of, you know, he bounced a couple of balls to Tyreek Hill. He just thought, that was what I wanted to see you do better. Off platform a couple of times when he was just made to move off his spot. He wasn't able to set his feet. And where you see like a strong arm quarterback like Herbert was able to make, to recover. You know, there was a play yesterday where Herbert rolled out and sort of threw off one foot. And those are the things that Tua can't really do. There, there was another play where late in the fourth quarter where he rolled out to his left and threw back across his body to Trent Sherfield. And it bounced, it was only like a 10 or 12 yard pass, but it bounced in front of Sherfield. And, you know, he would have, he put Sherfield posted up at the goal line. It would have been a completion, could have fallen backwards into the end zone for, for a game-seeding touchdown. So 
lots of good, but not really answering some of the questions that I had coming in. And, you know, I think that needs to be cleaned up for next week because you go on the road to Baltimore, M&T Bank Stadium, that is a big proposition. If he comes out of there winning and he, and he hoovers up some of the issues that he had yesterday, then, you know, this team is good. You know, uh, you know who he did look better than though, Mac was Jones. Mac Jones. Yeah. I mean, I look, I look uh, better than Mac Jones. <laughs> uh, the uh, Mark gets in touch uh, on the Streamyard comments. Yes, that's the thing. You can if you click on it if you're watching us on uh, uh, on Twitter. You can click on it and you can leave some comments in there. He says Patriots have always struggled in Miami before and after Brady. Definitely the bogey team, and also says that he thought Tua is a, is a timing one read quarterback. I think that's a little harsh, but I also think that Mike McDaniels is the right man to give him open reads. That's what the design was in San Francisco. And I, I it's a game I haven't been able to watch back yet other than on Red Zone. It's one of the ones I'm really interested to go and watch back. But I'm really excited to see how that scheme comes together. And I really feel like Simon's comments on tour are going to very much match the way that I felt about a certain San Francisco 49ers quarterback yesterday where there were moments of brilliance and some really wobbly moments as well. A bit like their uh, sideline. No, the difference being, the difference being, <laughs> but um, tush and all of that. Um, look, for two and a, two and a half quarters, the San Francisco 49ers dominated the Chicago Bears, but didn't come away with anything of, of note. They outgained them. In the end, they still outgained them by 127 yards, but they gave up 99 yards in 12 penalties. Ill-disciplined, just absolutely horrendous. As we've seen from Kyle Shanahan time and again, he got very conservative when the 49ers had the lead and didn't put his foot down and didn't when they were dominating the game. And, it was a game where there were two blown coverages. Justin Fields took advantage of those two blown coverages, and that was enough to win the game for Chicago. I'll talk about Trey Lance. I just wanted to get this out of the way because I'm going to have to leave slightly early on this show, and I figured you were going to get annoyed if I didn't make sure I talked about it. There were two throws, which uh, particularly a completion to Ray Ray McLeod into a tight as anything window in at least double, if not triple coverage that really showed the arm talent, really showed the the potential that he has a couple of deep throws as well that were very, very impressive and a couple of really good plays with his legs as well that kind of showed you where that upside and that ceiling is. There were some plays with his legs that showed real naivety where he stepped up in the pocket at the wrong moment when actually he would have done better staying in the pocket or he stepped up too late when there was pressure coming around the back. You know, there's a few of those awareness issues that I am concerned about. And there were probably three throws that highlighted where the issues were. The first one uh, being uh, targeting uh, the, the replacement tight end, whose name has for some reason completely escaped my mind. And I can't stop thinking about the Bengals backup tight end for some reason. Tyler Croft was who I was thinking of uh, (laughs) for some reason. That's the only name that kept coming to mind. Uh, It is Tyler Croft. Yeah, I thought it was. And I was, I'd said it and then I went, doesn't he look, hold on, what? It was. So Tyler Croft, there was a, he was in as the direct replacement for George Kittle. And there was a, what should have been a touchdown where Lance threw it to his outside shoulder and Croft, just as he released the ball, stepped inside and moved upfield instead of heading for the corner and it ended up sailing over his head. It was one of those where he continued running in the line he was running in, he would have caught it and it had been at least a, a first down, first and goal and probably a touchdown. 
or if it was someone he had probably better communication with, better knowledge with, better better chemistry with, he knows that they're going to make that cut up field and he knows to throw it to the inside shoulder. That was the worst throw for me. The interception was horrible and the throw just before the interception was horrible as well. But if I'm going to try and justify it as a 49ers fan, it was a monsoon of rain at that point being played on. Uh, Greg Popper on our call on radio called it Soldier Lake instead of Soldier Field. And the hope just has to be that it was a horrible situation for a player to have to have his you know first proper start, third start overall, and that next week against Seattle in a cleaner situation, we might get to see more of the upside. But... Ups and downs, very disappointing result. But I kind of feel like the defense was so good in the first half. There was enough positives that I'm not crying into my cereal. What I'd say, and I didn't didn't see a lot of it because I was watching the Dolphins game, but what I'd say is that it's hard for Trey Lance or anybody to overcome 12 penalties, some pretty average play calling and a monsoon, right? I mean, you know, you just can't. You just can't countenance for that. I, I think you can see flashes of why the 49ers did what they did in terms of moving all that capital to get him, but also in terms of um, in terms of having the trust in him to, to say to Jimmy Garoppolo, look, time's up, it's it's time for Trey Lance. And, and ultimately, I think people melting down after a single game in torrential rain. Josh Allen would not have been Josh Allen without some serious patience, right? Because, you know, Josh Allen is incredible right now, but go back and, you know, three, four years and think about those first years. I, I think maybe people should have a little bit of patience for Trey Lance. It's one game. In a you know in an absolute downpour, and I think you know overreacting to what happened is is fool's gold. He's played about a quarter of his entire snaps at quarterback in yesterday's game in the rain, which is it, <laughs> which is insane. We we, we should give uh, the Bears defense a little to? bit of love. A couple of those young players, particularly the safety, Jaquan Brisker in particular, had a really good game. Um, uh, and if you want to find a kind of star player on the 49ers side, uh, Hafunga, the, the safety who's come in and filled that role, had an absolutely sensational game. He had an interception, a tackle for loss, a sack, and eight tackles in the first half. He was absolutely such a big uh, player at USC, but he just couldn't stay healthy. And his, uh, his shoulders are held together with like cheese wire. So, you know, it's more power to him that he's, he's turned it because he was good last year as well. So, um, you know, he's a really good player, really good leader. I, I just, I, I do worry about the injuries, but if you can keep him healthy, then he, the board just is, is attracted to him. He's a, he's a nice player. Uh, I did see that the venerable Jeff Schwartz, uh, former offensive lineman and hot take machine on Twitter, said something along the lines of after the Trey Lance interception, oh, I didn't think Jimmy Garoppolo would be starting in week two. He could be starting in week two. However, if Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys decide that they are in desperate need of somebody better than Cooper Rush under center, because in what was, and I mean this with all sincerity, a truly dreadful game of football on Sunday night between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Cowboys. And I like a defensive game. I like an attritional game. I don't mind low scoring and I never have. This was a tough, tough watch, particularly when you consider that the Cowboys and Dak only went out with four minutes remaining of the game and arguably went out when they had no timeouts, when they had were down 16 points and really didn't have an opportunity to go and win and they kept playing him. Could be a problem in itself that they did that. But the first drive, I think they went 14 plays, about 55, 60-odd yards and got a field goal. 
And then they just didn't move the ball beyond that. One more first down in the first half. The Bucks defense looked fantastic. The Cowboys offensive line looked anything but their lack of bringing in a second receiver it looks like it could be really costly for them behind C.D. Lamb, who had a couple of nice plays. But yeah, it was as tough an opening game for the Cowboys as it could have possibly been. And next week, they get the Bengals coming off a you know, a bit of a whooping in week one. They're going to want to prove themselves, and they're going to get to do it most likely against a backup quarterback. I don't think it gets much easier for them has, next uh, week. Has Dak Prescott been Mike mccarthy is is that is that what we're saying? <laughs> I think it might have happened because it, it it took what six or seven, seven or eight years in Green Bay for Aaron Rodgers to be Mike McCarthy, and maybe maybe Dan Prescott has been Mike McCarthy. All right, he's now injured, um, but I lasted about a quarter of this game uh, because, it, as you said, it was an attritional one, not even one for the purists. It's one for it, the Bucks fans because they're the only ones that could have enjoyed any part of that game whatsoever. And CD Lamb. Uh, in in a fancy draft, I accidentally drafted him third, or maybe even second. I don't know uh, because I was an auto draft. I was it was my birthday. I was having a lovely meal with the chica, um, and I ended up drafting CD Lamb. He took two of eleven catches last night. I mean, that's just it's just woeful the the whole thing. So um, the Cowboys. I wondered, do they need a new quarterback more, or do they need Sean Payton more? Um, a new head coach, they, they are shoddy beyond belief. D- Dak was poor before the the injury yeah. and the lack of second option. CeeDee Lamb was blanketed a lot. I, I actually thought Dalton Schultz had a half-decent game. You know, we saw a mix of the running game, unsurprisingly, but th- this was a, a game where, uh, for the most part, defense is shining. I thought De- Devin White, Anton Winfield, Shaq Barrett, all were brilliant for the Bucks last night. Mika Parsons himself had a decent game. And actually in the first half, Tampa Bay were moving the ball, but were restricted to four field goals and a missed field goal in the first half on the five drives where they actually managed to move the ball at all. So, you know, it wasn't like the Cowboys' defense played badly at all. Managing to restrict Tom Brady's just the one touchdown in the second half as well. But... Yeah, that matchup, they, they, it looked like men against boys on the other side of the ball. And if I'm a Cowboys fan right now... I'm I think this is what happens when you have your owner as a GM, right? I mean, they look slow and old on offense. And I I didn't understand. They started like they started running the ball pretty well with Ezekiel Elliott and the line looked pretty good. Yeah, the, the rookie left tackle, um, Tyler Smith, was there was a couple of plays where he was driving guys six, seven yards down the field and pancaking them in the run game, mixing a bit of Tony Pollard. And then they started like double reverses and... Like CD Lamb flipping the ball to Tony Pollard, who's about to be tackled and losing big yard, and I was just like, "What? What are you doing?" And and you know, if if they are committed to getting rid of you know the guys that they lost in you know whether they're trading Amari Cooper or whatever, you, the expectation is that CD Lamb then has to step up and fulfil that role as a number one, and he summarily failed to do it yesterday. I, I know James Washington is injured, I know Michael Gallup is injured, and things will change when they come back. But you know, rolling with Noah Brown. And um, the undrafted rookie, whose name completely escaped, Dennis Houston, you know, just wasn't good enough. You know, Schultz was is fine, but he's a he's a really good complementary piece when that offense is really going. But you're almost having to like, he was almost like the first option for for Dak. They, the 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 
the spacing in on offense wasn't great at all. I didn't. I thought the play calling was really poor. They tried a couple of times to get manufactured touches to, to Turpin and didn't really work. And and I think the biggest problem for the Cowboys is that kind of the Sean Payton is the sword of Damocles that's sort of hanging over the head of Mike McCarthy because this team isn't going anywhere. And I think the injury to Prescott essentially, and I can't work out whether or not the injury to Prescott makes McCarthy sacking inevitable or even more quickly inevitable, or whether or not it, it almost gives him a, some respite in that, you know, you're going in with Cooper Rush for six to eight weeks. And, and therefore, if you end up two and six, then that's going to be okay because you've had to do it without without Dak Prescott. But I just think when Sean Payton's out there, what he could do for that team, what he could do for that offense, they just need speed. They need some talent. And they've just, you know, even on the offensive line, you go back a few years, and you look at Travis Frederick and Zach Martin and, and you know the, the Tyron Smith and those guys, and it's a sh- it's a shell team. It really is a shell team, and they're kind of hanging on by, you know, three or four young players who have got you know a, some upside, led by Micah Parsons, who's essentially the best player on that team by a country mile already. I, I I could see the Cowboys really struggling to win six games this year, and I think Mike McCarthy will be sacked, and uh, and uh, probably deservedly so. Well, look, they're also the only team who didn't win in the NFC East. And sadly, I'm going to have to sign off because I've got to go and have another meeting about uh, post-monarch plans. But uh, (laughs) uh, uh, I've broken my hand. I'm off to go and get surgery. No, that makes Mike McQuaid Cooper Rush, which is far too mean. He's much more Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, best backup in the league coming in in my place. Uh, so I will leave it to you. And I'm going to tee you up nicely with a, they were the only team to not win in the NFC East, including a shock win for the New York Giants. That was literally what I was about to say. And these lads can see the live chat uh, on this podcast. Style, start with you. Obviously, great to see these lads. Fantastic week one. A lot of Giants fans that I'm that mates with I feel like it's Christmas Day today. What was Mike Rabel doing, Si, on that, on that play? I think it was third and one with Derek Henry. Some seriously interesting decisions he made yesterday, wasn't it? You know how um, you know how Pep Guardiola gets to Champions League finals and sort of makes really weird decisions with lineups and things and sort of you feel like he's out thinking himself. It just felt like that's what the Titans did. You know, just they had more than enough. They had a comfortable lead and they just let it slip. And I just think, you know, kudos to Brian Dable and the Giants. I love the story that Peter King told this morning in terms of how two things really that Dable had said that certain things he, he played a, a clip of the um of the Alex Rodriguez was the Alex Rodriguez documentary that's on um that's on Netflix and uh, and there's a there's a bit where a 24 year old A-Rod goes up to somebody and says this is not acceptable a much older player in the team says this is not acceptable and, and Dable said you know this season losing is not acceptable it's not acceptable but I love that the, the, the story that I love most of all was on that final drive when he goes over to uh, to his offensive coordinator and literally says, uh, "There's about a minute and a half left," and he says, "Get your best two your, your best uh, two point play ready," because he, he Dable literally got his five sort of defensive leaders over and said, "Look, I'm thinking of going for two if we score here. What do you think? Because you're the guys that are out there playing. I don't want to let you guys down." And unanimously, it's five for five with with guys saying, "Let go for it, go for it." So, and that's what they did. And, I, and look, I think you know some kudos to Daniel Jones, some kudos to Saquon Barkley. I thought they both played really well. I thought Dayball, you know, it felt like the Giants really grew into that game in the, in, the, in the second half. I thought that the offensive line held up okay. I thought defensively they were okay, but uh, yeah, I mean that might variable call. That's the sort of thing where he just you know I doubt there'll be much there'll have been much sleep in the variable household last night because it was fairly inexplicable. And then. 
know, they still had time to move down the field. Ryan Tannehill completes that great throw to Carl Phillips, the over the shoulder, set them up for Randy Bullock. And then, you know, kickers, man, you just can't, you just can't, you can't count on that somebody's going to just hook one left from, you know, in severely makeable distance. But a good win for the Giants. Football is better when the Giants are, you know, when the Giants are competitive. And I don't know that Daniel Jones is a long-term answer. I don't know that Saquon's going to stay healthy. But, you know, Brian Dable is experienced and he's creative. And I think those two will work well together. We talked about in the preview. I think Jones and and Dable will work well together. And I thought it was a better version of Daniel Jones than we've perhaps seen for, for, for a little while. So, um, you know, the NFC East might be competitive and not, not with the Dallas Cowboys. Which everybody Let's wants to happens. see, apart from Cowboys. Yeah, absolutely. Apart from Cowboys. Yeah, of course. But I, I think it showed the togetherness that the Giants have. And it's something that they really haven't had for a few seasons now, quite a few seasons now, that togetherness. And Dable coming in and, and showing the clip that you mentioned, he showed another one where um, it's about keeping – you don't get on your on your teammate's back. You don't have a go at your teammate. It's it's all about respect and, and love for your teammate. And that's exactly what's happened with uh, the New York Giants. They had each other's back, and it was encapsulated in, in that final those final moments. And um, – for me, as a Penn State guy, it's great to see Saquon Barkley just kind of back. And it, we saw, we saw, and you shouldn't really look at, uh, at what goes on in preseason too heavily. But some of the clips that the Giants were releasing, and some of the stuff that Saquon was doing in the limited time that he had in in preseason, showed that he could be back to to somewhere near his best. And it, all right, the first half yesterday from the Giants was dreadful. I mean, they were as bad as the the. Chicago Bears in the first half, and they didn't have a monsoon to deal with. Um, but as you said, Simon, growing into the game, things starting to come off, more confidence, more belief in themselves, receivers starting to make plays. Um, the, the the throw to Sterling Shepard and, and, and the touchdown was, was almost encapsulated that, the 68-yard run down the sideline from Saquon Barkley, where the blocking up front was great for him, and then he makes a little juke move that he he probably wasn't making last year especially when he was injured. But uh, so New York football giants being back good. You were hundred percent right. Uh, Simon is, is good for, for the NFC because I don't, I'm not saying they're back a hundred percent back because we were just in week one, but it, it's, it's bodes well for a division, which has been pretty useless over the last couple of years. Mike, what I think is interesting now as well with the giants is, you know, and I'm not getting ahead of myself, but you think at home to the Panthers, Okay, you know, that's a winnable game next Sunday. Then at home to the Cowboys, Cooper Rush rather than Dak Prescott, or, you know, there may be a, you know, there may be a trade. We may see a Jimmy Groppo, but nevertheless, as we stand right now, you know, there's two winnable games. And then at home to the Bears, all three of the next, the next three games are all at home against the Bears. Then you go to Green Bay, then you host the Ravens, and then you go to the Jaguars. You know, you could be looking at a Giants team that's potentially 4 0 by the 2nd of October, and by the 23rd of October, could be 5 and 2. I don't think that's beyond the realms of possibility. And who would have thought that? But these are three really winnable games. And I think that's, you know, when Brian Dable gets back in the building this morning, or he'll already be there now, but, you know, that's the thing he's going to be hammering home is, look, guys, you know, this this division is wide open. It's wide open. And we could be 4-0 and in a month's time. And, uh, you know, there's a lot to play for in the East. 
imagine the Giants enter London week five, four, and oh. Um, I think I think the thing that stood out for me last night, lads, honestly, and it's it's quite simple, is it was what that victory meant to them and incorporated with obviously Ollie were saying about Saquon Barkley back 164 yards on a day and it was great to see him come back I ironically on a different podcast said a few days ago that I thought he wouldn't be able to replicate his old success so that's what I said a little bit like Ollie's Joe Burrow comment at the start of the show but uh, I'm gonna sort of switch this now in one sense uh, I think it was mid third quarter lads yesterday Brian Dable was giving Daniel Jones a bollocking on the sideline there was another guy going crazy on the sideline yesterday um, and that was Aaron Rodgers I, I, I'm presuming like, I, I was sitting producing this for the last half an hour we haven't talked about this Packers situation yet lads I mean this is this is scary it. stuff um, 23 to 7 and, pa- and like well sorry y'all, cause y'all, I, I, I know you're a big Packers fan Aaron Rodgers to me yesterday looked like a man that I wouldn't say he was fed up, but when you hear the Fox analyst on the sideline say that he described Devante Adams as his safety net, it's it's a wee bit like worrying for me as a football fan watching. It. As a Packers fan, it's worrying. But then look what happened last year where they lost thirty eight to three against uh, the New Orleans New Orleans Saints in Jacksonville, first game of the season, um, and then Rogers goes and, and does what he does. But he didn't. This time we don't have. Uh, Devontae Adams and we have a pair of young receivers one of whom uh, dropped a ball on the on the first play the first offensive play of the game and you could just see Aaron Rodgers' face just go I know they were trying to put a nice spin on it Greg Olson who I thought had a really good game uh, yesterday and the the commentator were having trying to trying to twist it and say oh look you know he's going to have to He's got patience. He's not shouting at his guy. It's nothing else. He had a face like thunder. Um, if Watson catches that, and and Aaron Rodgers said in in post match, he doesn't do ifs and buts. But he made a big point of actually, if Watson does catch that, Walton does catch that. Sorry, um, then the game could be completely different, and it could have been. I think that Rodgers' problems were that. You had Jenkins and Bakhtiari out, ruled out at the beginning of the game. So two bona fide first rounders or two bona fide first teamers, first picks, uh, not starting. So that's that's one extra thing to have in Rogers' mind. Um, the, the dropped catch on the first play, another little thing to have in his mind. Um, and it's it just not clicking. It's just not working. And when it doesn't click, and I mentioned Patrick Mahomes at the beginning of the of the podcast, beginning of the show he relished the challenge it seemed like off the back of that at first first drop rogers rogers didn't wasn't totally there for the challenge i don't know whether you agree with that simon um yeah i mean the things that concern me look you talk about bakhtiari and jenkins obviously everybody's going to miss but david bakhtiari hasn't played for you know a year now josh nyman played pretty well last year at left tackle so you know, that that's a concern for me in terms of, yes, Elton Jenkins is really good, but you're getting back Josh Myers at centre. You know, you're, you're a year on with John Runyon. Zach Tom is a good player. You know, I thought he played well when he came in. Yeah. The thing that concerns me, two things that concern me really, is the, the defence, I didn't think, played very well at all. And, and post-game, when, when Matt LaFleur is calling out the effort of his team and Jaren Alexander is essentially calling out the game planning, I, I don't know, you know, we were told that our game plan was to stop 18, Justin Jefferson, and we didn't do it. And I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't there covering him. The, the plan was, I mean, not to cover him, which I find bizarre because you know, Alexander, top five, top seven corner in the league, 
against arguably, you know, Devontae Adams aside, the best wide receiver in the NFL. I don't understand that personally. Okay, I thought Kenny Clark played very well. He's a, a monster inside. But that that worries me that already in week one that the coach is calling out the effort. One of your star defenders is calling out the, the game planning. That's a concern. I think if you're a Green Bay fan, look at we all rushed to judgment week one, okay? Oh, it's terrible. The, the walls are falling in. Green Bay were essentially a fourth and goal stop and uh, the, the Christian Watson inexplicable touchdown drop away from being up 17-14, realistically. The game completely changes. I, I hated that play call on fourth and goal at the one. Just trying to, you know, and I, yeah, Dylan's a big guy, 255 pounds. You're trying to run him up inside. But, you know, Rogers does such a great job with his ball handling in terms of his ball. For, how many times have we seen Rogers just keep it? Hide the ball, roll out, roll in, score, touchdown. While everybody's looking at the back, diving in. You know, well, he said so after, I, he said I, after I, the game, it's on him. He should have kept that ball and walked it in. He said afterwards, well, and so he 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 blamed. I, I thought it was quite magnanimous of him actually after the game. Where all right, I think he does that very well. He protects his team. Yeah. I think he does a good job of that, and he protects generally protects his coaches. And I know there's a, you know all this history about Rogers is this, but actually I think he, he always does a really good job of. Uh, players not throwing guys under the bus he was clearly frustrated with the Watson drop who wouldn't be but it's not like he you know he went over and screamed to him and there's clearly a bunch of confidence in Christian Watson he missed a lot of preseason. he had a he had surgery missed a lot of uh, training camp Romeo Dobbs was the star of training camp and, and Watson actually got the start over Dobbs um, I, I think there's an awful lot to clean up uh, and what you don't want is Rogers going back to playing hero ball which is what he did in the, in the dying realms of the Mike McCarthy era which was you know you have so much talent you have so much arm talent that you just think that you know and Look, who are we to argue in a way with the argue with the greatest pure thrower of all time? But you know that kind of hero ball element of just putting everything on your shoulders and thinking that you can do it, and you know no matter how great he is, and he is, it, it just didn't work. And actually, what we've seen under under Matt Lafleur is the way that you know Rogers say, "I want to be coached. I want to be coached." And in the last couple of seasons, he's won MVPs. He's been coached, he's been coached hard, and the Packers have been outstanding. He's been outstanding. I don't think you need to over panic necessarily. You're going to start to see those guys dripping back in in terms of Jenkins, in terms of hopefully Bakhtiari, and hopefully we're back close to that level. Re-establishing the run game. I thought Dylan and Jones, you know, generally played really well. There is a lack of talent and wide receiver, and you do have to call into question whether or not, you know, in the last couple of years of his career, whether or not trading away Devontae Adams was a great idea. You can argue that till the gals come home, essentially, and and the proof will essentially be in the pudding of uh, of whether Watson and Dobbs and those guys develop and train on. The early returns aren't great, but you know I I, I can't see anything other than Green Bay picking up a number of wins moving forwards. Rogers starting to feel more relaxed, diversifying, getting the ball out, trust, all those sorts of things. And the Vikings are no mugs. It's not a bad team. Kirk Cousins is a good player. Dalvin Cook's an elite running back. You've got, like I said great receivers in, in Jefferson and in um, in Adam Thielen. So, look, going and losing on the road, I think it's just the manner with which. But, you know, games are decided by a handful of plays. And, you know, if Green Bay, if things have fallen the right way, you might have been looking at a very different result. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally concur. And from the Vikings' point of view, they've got a game plan absolutely bang on. Um, moving, moving Jefferson across the line, uh, I think half of his snaps came in the outside positions. The other half... At the slot, slot receiver, he had a couple at, at uh, in the backfield and one at tight end. So they're moving him, him around, but it was his it was his movement and recognizing that it was zonal coverage in that first half. And Jair Alexander, he just ran away from Jair Alexander. And that's if teams work that out from Green Bay, all right, they adjust the second half. Then that's the way to beat this heralded Green Bay defense. But um, yeah, I just. 
though there is no cause to panic, Packers fans. Thank you, Simon. You've really, really reassured me. No worries, buddy. Well, you've got the Bears on Sunday Night Football, so I mean, if I was a Packers fan right now, I'd be delighted, even though yeah, the Bears did win. It's, it's the perfect bounce back <laughs> game, isn't it? let's see what happens let's Lazzy even just round us up because as Will said there was that much stuff that happened yesterday let's give maybe one point each I'll jump on the Jaguars Commanders game it was like the most yo-yo game ever at one point you didn't know who was going to win who wanted to win Carson went to two two interceptions but he scored four passing touchdowns and over 300 yards that, that guy is like the most enjoyable slashing consistent slashing nine quarterback to watch ever and the guy is the, the the rookie Dotson wide receiver um had two uh two touchdowns on the day as well like it wasn't the classic side but it was it was good crack to watch I, I really enjoyed it uh we haven't talked about the Chargers Raiders have we no we haven't no I've seen some of the 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 videos that you've been posting Michael from your, your own Twitter account which I love retweeted at gridiron um but some of those Justin Herbert throws, the laser for the touchdown was outrageous. And then there was a throw where he sort of, sort of slight wheel to the right, and then it's a crossing guy over the over the right, and he's at his fifty or midfield, and the the ball I can't remember the receiver, but it goes to the five yard line, and it's pinpoint over the shoulder catch, uh, over the shoulder throw catch. I just this this boy. Th- Simon, did you expect that kind, this kind of player coming out of college a couple of years ago? No, I hold my hands up. I um, I thought he'd be a complete bust. If I'm completely honest, I worried. You know, that the, the athletic, the physical talent was always there. I was worried about the mental side of things in terms of like he was a small, small town kid, had never left Corvallis. Um, I thought he was very quiet. I've spoken to a number of coaches at Oregon and people around the the, um, the school there, and they said he was very quiet humble you know <clears throat> he's the sort of guy that went home and spent the evening with his parents he didn't hang out with his you know he didn't, wasn't he didn't have friends but he didn't hang out he wasn't that kind of kid okay and i i just felt like and the biggest issue for me and actually it's it's the point i want to make about his nfl career is that he just didn't win the big game you know there were times where he he obviously won the rose bowl in his final game but actually ironically that was done with his legs rather than with his throwing arm um, i think he had three touchdowns in the rose bowl in that game um but my concern with him in the NFL was, can he win the big game? Can he get over the hump? Can he just... And I, I think yesterday was really important because when the Raiders started to come back, actually, you know, there was enough there. The Chargers were able to hold off and he was able to win a really big division game, essentially on the road. I know they were at home, but, you know, they were having to go silent count because the, the Raiders fans were so loud inside the Chargers' home stadium, which is, you know, which is phenomenal. I know the Raiders travel well, but nevertheless... Um, so for me, for Justin Herbert, the one thing, the one area of improvement I wanted to see this year was winning a big game, was was taking, not that he can't put the team on his shoulders because he's already proven that he can do that, but just get over the line. I know that QB wins are a really over-exaggerated, rather pointless stat, but you live and die on what the quarterback does. And I, I just think for me, for Justin to just, to, it would almost invigorate him to know that he can get over the line and win a big game and, and, and to do that, and to go on the road to KC and do that and to... All those things, because the talent is is just next level ridiculous. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. And he can, you know, we're in such a golden era of amazing young quarterbacks. And I know, you know, we've sort of seen the dying embers of Tom Brady and, and you know, some of the senior guys and the Aaron Rodgers. But this group of guys that's coming through with Burrow and with Mahomes, who's obviously a bit more established with Burrow and Josh Allen, you know, and and here's this kid, Justin Herbert. Just, he's just unbelievable every week. He just makes three or four throws that you're just like... 
how does he like how does he do that that the arm strength is absolutely unbelievable so um yeah and that, i mean the, i think the biggest thing for me actually about the chargers was their defense you know the, the secondary looked good brandon staley's obviously a great you know defensive mind and khalil mack you know coming back with three sacks um you know because if that defense is half decent then um then that chargers team could could really threaten because the, there's a whole world of talent and significantly worse quarterbacks have got to the Super Bowl than Justin Herbert. He is a um, he's an absolute stud. Roll on Thursday night. That's yeah, going to be no. a hell of a game, lads, on Thursday yeah, night. Okay. Is there um, any final comments, lads, to make on, on, on this week? I would go as far as saying, for me, it was the honestly the most enjoyable week one that I've that I've watched in, in recent times at least but I tell you what let's, let's end it in this for the people listening to this podcast on a Monday evening before they maybe go to bed or get a, a cup of tea before they watch Monday Night Football who's winning tonight the Broncos or the Seahawks lads I mean the, the Broncos for me absolutely Russ will march back in the 12s will give him hell and they will roll away with a pretty comfortable victory I, I, I can't see anything other than a three touchdown Broncos win yeah I again I can't disagree with Simon there uh, I think it's exactly the kind of thing that Russ will thrive on. And um, finally, he's got uh, a good defense behind him. He's got um, some, I know he's got had some quality receivers in, in Seattle, but he's, he's got a, a really good offense to work with as well. So, um, and I think actually the other thing is that Seattle's quarterback stinks. So there's, there's, no, there's, no, there's not, I can't see many points being put up by, by the Seahawks. One one thing I'd like to say actually about week one was that I, I thought that, that the Lions were were impressive and actually they are a quarterback away from I know I predicted them to go to the playoffs and I am gonna stick with that, but I, I think there are you know, there are if, if the Lions had a Justin Herbert or a Joe Burrow or a Patrick Mahomes, one of those young drafted quarterbacks, and maybe that happens this year with a you know, a Will Levis or a Bryce Young or a CJ Stroud or one of these guys that comes out. Um, Devin Leary, whoever it may be, Anthony Richardson. I, I think that they could be prime. There's a lot of talent. I, I'm so impressed with that run game in the mm. in the bits I saw yesterday. In terms of that offensive line is so good. They took on a really really good defensive line and were able to move the ball pretty consistently with the run game. And Ben Johnson looks like a really creative offensive coordinator. I, I think all the things are moving in the right direction in Detroit. And I, you just think you go back to the draft a little bit and think, oh, what if they've taken a Malik Willis? And I know the sample size is so small in terms of what Willis has done, and it's only pre season in Tennessee but you think if they had that guy on the roster that they could just begin to develop and, and they don't have it yet and you know whether even if they do draft a guy like a Levis or whoever you know it, these guys like Herbert and Burrow are, are outliers really in terms of coming in and just setting the league alight in the first half a season first season you know what I mean it does take a little while for these guys to develop um and you, you just feel like Detroit are close. They keep pushing. They're drafting well. They're really well coached. The, the, the culture is great. If they can just get a quarterback, this is a team that I think a lot. And you know, unless you, you know, unless you follow a team in the NFC North, I think you're going to be looking at the Detroit Lions and thinking, yeah, this is a team you almost want to do well because you look back at those guys, you know, like the Herman Moores and the, you know, the Calvin Calvin Johnsons and the Barry Sanders and the, you know, the Willie Rose and all these great players from you know Lomas Browns and you go back and. You know, this is a team that you can kind of get behind, gritty, kind of hardworking, all the cliches, but it's true. You know, this kind of working class, they've got, like I say, great coach, great leadership. And, you know, Brad Holmes looks to be doing a really good job. So if they can just get that quarterback, just get them over the hump, who wouldn't want to see a big old playoff game in, in, at Ford Field? It would be a, um, you know, I mean, that, not since the Wayne Fonts era, is it, that they've had a playoff game in Detroit? That would be pretty... Or a, um, meaning, or, or a meaningful Thanksgiving game site would yeah, be nice. Yeah, exactly. When they're not like, you know, one and eight or <laughs> yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. 
no, absolutely, I'd be 100% behind a Detroit Revival with a, you know, a really good quarterback. Yeah, 35, 38 yesterday. I mean, what, 70? So I'm getting the GCSE mods out here. 73 points in one game. I mean, it was an enjoyable game, even though seeing Red Zone and that, that Eagles offense looked well, good. Eagles fans out there thinking, you haven't talked to you, talked about everybody, but last. AJ Brown, I thought, was yeah. excellent. Jeremy Hurts made a lot of plays with his legs, didn't start very well, but, you know, and defensively, they've got some serious talent. So, you know, but I would be a bit concerned if I was, you know, Nick Sirianni just looking at that and thinking, okay, we kind of, you know, kept Detroit hanging out. You know, how good are Detroit? That'll be the first thing that, you know, the Eagles are thinking today is like, you know, how good are this Lions team? Or how, you know, are we are we really good and they're really good? Or did we just play down to their level? Or, you know, because this is a sort of a under-the-radar sneaky sort of potential NFC champion in the Eagles in terms of their talent in a, in a weak NFC. So, be interesting for Nick Sirianni this morning. Let's see what happens for the next few weeks. One thing for sure is we're not going to stop talking. We're not going to stop debating. Say si, you're not going to stop talking to Bengals fans on Twitter. I'm I'm loving it. I mean, it's great, it's great fun. Have you? And all those uh, Mac Jones fans as well, Simon. Yeah. If, if you can, oh, yeah, here exactly. Yeah. Where are they? What happened to the Mac Jones for MVP chats that I saw by some of the I love those tweets from you. They're magnificent. <laughs> But one thing for sure is, lads, football is back. You got the Monday Night Football tonight. If you're li- if you are listening in on the podcast, check out the link, uh, the Beer Fifty Two link. You get a free case of beer. You just have to pay for postage. We'll try and get these two lads here, and we'll gavin in a box as well. Really, really enjoyed it, lads. Hopefully, see us next Monday again. It's been great, great, great fun going on live, and uh, enjoy tonight well, and we enjoy were, Thursday. We were as live. Well. We were live. <laughs> <all the time. laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Will said that he couldn't see that we were live. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.